This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. We have the privilege of studying our way through the book of Hebrews. So go ahead and turn to Hebrews over the next couple minutes. But I'd like to open by comparing two different poems. And you've probably heard of these two poems before, just never thought about how they might contrast each other. The first is Invictus. And Invictus was written by William Ernest Henley. And it goes like this. And and you'll notice that in the first stanza, he's opening his thought. In the second, he's talking about the unpredictable nature of life, that circumstances are random. In the, the third stanza, he's talking about how death is inevitable. We're all going to face it. And then finally, he wraps up his point at the end. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of of my soul. Now compare that to the tone and the heart and the focus of another poem with an unknown author. It's called Footprints in the Sand. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there were only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times in his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, would you lead me, leave me? And the Lord replied, my son, my precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then I carried you. Is the difference between independence and dependence. One is, I am the master of my soul. Whatever happens is on me, and I refuse to take my eyes off of me. And this other poem has a completely different tone, and it's a a poem of dependency. It's a poem that says, "When, when I have nowhere else to turn, when I realize that I'm empty, I have trust in one stronger than me. Tell me, which of these two attitudes do you believe pleases God the most? Which opens the door for relationship? Which can truly endure any suffering? And which is postured for obedience and faith? In chapter 10, 
we, we discussed how faith is shown by three things. Faith is shown by our drawing near to God, relationship. Faith is shown by enduring until the end. And then faith is shown by our obedient action, our loving action. James is really clear that faith without action is dead. It doesn't exist at all. Action doesn't create faith. Action and faith don't go together to create salvation. But if there is faith, it will produce action. It will produce relationship and it will produce endurance. Now, with this in mind, we're going to roll into Hebrews 11. And I'll, I'll warn you, heads up, we're going to cover the entire chapter of Hebrews 11 tonight. Elijah has the treat of walking through character by character, doing character studies of Hebrews 11. And I'm going to leave that to him. But what we're going to do is we're going to do a flyover and we're going to see the overall shape of the chapter and see how it... Although it's many stories, it's actually one story retold again and again. And it's all pointing, not to the greatness of these men and women, but it's all pointing to the faithfulness of God. So if you are in Hebrews chapter 11 right now, we're actually going to begin a few verses before chapter 11. Let's pick up in chapter 10, verse 35. And this is where we're going to begin Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. So he's saying, this is what you're needing right now. Stuff's getting hard. You're in persecution. You're in trials. You need endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, there's action, obedience, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one, this is you and I, my righteous people, my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere and preserve their souls. And we went into depth last week, but this is where we pick up right now. So here we are, we're pushing, our theme is endurance, living by faith, and now what our author is going to do in chapter 11 is he is going to show all these men and women, and they have a bunch of things in common. All of them have faith. All of them walk in relationship with God. All of them persevered when other people would quit. They all show their faith by obedience and following the will of God. They witness the faithfulness of God. They didn't, and this is important, they didn't in their time see the completed promises of God. They'd only see slivers of it. And through their faith, God counted them as righteous. They were saved by their faith or through their faith. Chapter 11, verse one. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So the first thing we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna define faith. The second thing we're gonna do is look at examples of faith. And third, we're gonna see that ready or not, the baton is passed to us. So what is Faith. Faith is not a strong emotion. Faith is not something that we, we stir up and we just feel really excited about. We don't engage our faith. We don't stir up our faith. Faith is, is not something that is blind, basing itself on no evidence. Christianity is an evidence-based system of beliefs. It has more evidence than any other religion on the planet. What does our author say here? Two words define faith. Faith is assurance. Faith is the conviction. So what are 
assurance and conviction. And notice their assurance of things hoped for and their conviction of things not seen. So faith is assurance. Assurance actually means placing under, coming underneath something. And it's specifically talking about the foundation of a building. So if you have a weak foundation, the building collapses. If you have a strong foundation, the building stands. So if you have assurance, it means that you have confidence because you are on a strong foundation. That's what assurance means. You have confidence, you have courage because your foundation is solid. And we have a solid foundation. We have the promises of God. Remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, those who, who hear my words and reject them, they're like a man who builds his house on the sand when the winds come. The house falls over. But those who hear my words and they follow them, they obey them, it's like a man who builds his house on a solid rock. What is the rock? Jesus' words. God's promises. It's that foundation. That's what we stand on. That's how we have assurance because we know our foundation is solid. So we have courage. We have confidence. So we have assurance of things hoped for. This is not hope like wishful thinking. Like, I hope I get this for Christmas. I hope I make a good grade. I hope we don't have hurricanes this season. No, biblical hope is expectancy, where you are willing to take action knowing, expecting something to come to pass. For me, and this is probably a terrible example, but I think of a receiver. And the receiver and the quarterback have a plan. And so many times a receiver will jet out there, make a hard left, and suddenly he turns and the football's there. Boof! He is turning with an expectancy. That football is going to be right there in the pocket. Men and women of God live with expectancy and they're willing to run. They're willing to follow the quarterback because they trust. They expect it to come to pass. What are, God, what are Christians expecting by faith? They're expecting God's promises to come true. God's promises to come to pass. So faith is confidence based on God's character and his word, which expects his promises to be fulfilled. Now, faith is the conviction of things that aren't seen. It's a conviction. Conviction, it means what it sounds like. It means proof or evidence. It's a legal term, a courtroom term. term. Proof or evidence. So faith itself, this is so, just so cool to me. It's the, the proof or evidence, the conviction of things not seen. So faith, Ephesians 2 says, is a gift from God. When someone has faith, it's God's gift to them that makes them assured that God's promises are going to come to pass. God's like, how do you know that my promises are coming to pass? Here's a gift of faith. That is your indicator that I absolutely will follow through. I don't know if you followed that or not, but that's really cool. Faith itself is an evidence that God puts in a believer that he will fulfill his promise. So these things hoped for and these things not seen, these are God's promises yet to be fulfilled. It's what we're looking towards. It's things that we don't, they're not tangible yet. They're unseen. But we know he, he will fulfill them. And we have so much confidence that he will fulfill them that we will walk in relationship with him, that we will endure and we will take action based on that faith. So if we were to paraphrase verse one, it might go something like this. Faith is confidence based on God's character and word, which expects his promises to be fulfilled. 
And faith itself is the proof they will be fulfilled even when we can't see how yet. Are you all still with me? I know this is sort of like drinking from the fire hose. But we need to wrap our minds around what true biblical faith is. True biblical faith is trust and dependency. Faith is not a power that you grow in. Faith is recognizing you have no power. Faith is not our trying to take control of the situation and get God to do what we want him to do. Faith is realizing we have no control of the situation, so we must rely on the only one who is in control, who has all power. Faith is trust and dependency, even when we can't see yet. So Elevate, here's a question for you. When you spend time in prayer, do you find yourself trying to convince God to do your will? Or in prayer, do you find yourself asking that he would give you the courage and hope and obedience to do his will? Jesus is so clear in the Lord's prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, may your name be made holy, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not get my will into heaven, but get heaven's will into me is the prayer. So what is faith? Faith is dependency. It's, it's, it's dependency and trust. It's this expectancy that God's got this. His promises will come through. And we can rest in it. We can build a relationship on it. We can endure in it. We can take action on it. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse two. For by it, for by faith, the people of old received their commendation. The author is about to give us a string of men and women who walked in faith. And commendation means a witness or they obtained a good report. God was pleased with these people because of their faith. Verse three, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What, what is seen is not made out of things that are seen now. So God didn't recycle stuff to make a universe. There was nothing. Then there was God's word. Then there was everything. Do y'all follow me? So there was an unseen universe only in the mind of God. And by the power of God's word, everything came to be. Think of how cool this is. Because first of all, our author opens up his list of people walking by faith with the word we. He includes us. He's saying, God's people, you're already walking in faith. If you can trust the first verse of the Bible, then you can trust the rest of the Bible. If you can trust the first verse, there's no miracle in the Bible that will shock you anymore. If you can trust the first verse, then you can trust what happens today and tomorrow in our own lives. In the beginning, it was God who created all things. God is sovereign creator. God is in charge. God has all the power. God has all the knowledge. If we can trust that, what do we have to fear? We can stand in faith. Right here at the beginning of verse three, by faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. He's saying, and it's so beautiful, he's saying that God created everything through the power of his word. And today, he is employing that same power in bringing his promises to pass for his people. The same omnipotence that brought everything into being is at work for you on behalf of his glory. 
What do we have to fear? What won't happen that God says will happen when that kind of power is behind it? And then he gives us his first example, verse four, the first singular example. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, still speaks. Abel showed his faith by giving a sacrifice. God, pleased with his faith, blessed it, counted it as acceptable, counted him as righteous. And I love, like, so many times we get caught up in this comparison between Cain and Abel, and we're like, well, Cain brought the fruit of the field, and Abel brought the lamb, and maybe the lamb is looking towards Christ, and it's a blood sacrifice. And, but the Old Testament had vegetable and grain sacrifices. This isn't about the what. It's about their hearts. Abel came and brought a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord because by faith he did it. That was the difference. And then I love that he says, the author of Hebrews says that Abel is speaking after death. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And this is calling back to the story of Cain and Abel. You see, Cain killed his brother Abel in a field. And then Cain tried to get away from God. And God catches up with Cain and says, Cain, your brother's blood back there is calling out to me from the ground. Now this is personifying Abel's blood. But what is it saying? It's saying that Abel's blood is testifying against Cain. And yet right here, our author is flipping the coin and saying, Abel, even in death, is now witnessing to you. What is he saying? What is the life and death of Abel saying? He's saying, live by faith. It's the only way that we can bring an acceptable offering to God. What does Romans 12.1 say? Romans 12.1, take a look for yourself. Keep your finger in Hebrews. Let's go to Romans 12.1. Live by faith. How do we bring an acceptable offering to God? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Go to the very end of Romans, Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your body is is a representation of your whole person. How do we live by faith? We bring our whole being to God as a sacrifice. Lord, my life is not my own anymore. My body is not my own own anymore. My, My mind and my creativity are not my own anymore. My past, thank you God, is not my own anymore. My future is not my own anymore. My moment right here I'm living in belongs to you, my king. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then our author just rattles them off one after another. And he gives a name and he gives a thumbnail about that person that shows that they were willing to take action based on their trust in God's promises. Enoch, it says it twice that he walked with God, an emphasis of relationship. He had relationship based on faith, which reminds me of James 4.8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Noah believes God's word about the unseen coming flood. He actually uses the word unseen because it's calling back to Hebrews 11.1 and he constructs an ark. Abraham obeyed, not knowing where he was going, but he believed God and he followed him to a land promised. And it actually pauses in the middle of this and he talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and it says, they never saw the promises fulfilled and yet they had faith. 
When Abraham died, he had two grandsons and he had one burial plot, which was all the land he owned in the promised land. And he died in faith that God was gonna make his family a multitude and God was gonna give them the promised land, all of it. Sarah believed she'd get pregnant based on the promises. It actually uses the word promises, based on the promises of God. She considered God faithful. It's a call back to Hebrews 10.23. It all goes back to God's character, that he is faithful. Isaac invoked future blessings over his two sons. He believed the promises of God and he spoke an unseen future over his sons because of his faith. Jacob did the exact same thing over his 12 sons. He spoke an unseen future because he trusted God's promises. Joseph, remembering God's promise to Abraham, God told Abraham, your family's gonna get enslaved for a long time and I'm gonna deliver them. And Joseph, remembering this before they were even enslaved, prepared for the exodus and prepared for his own burial in the promised land. Moses, choosing to be mistreated with the people of God, chose to abandon being an Egyptian of high rank to be one of the Hebrews. This is cool. Check out, just look right there at, at Hebrews 10.36. Whenever our author is encouraging them saying, remember when you chose to stand along those who were mistreated for the gospel. Think about Moses. He was willing to be mistreated too. It's so cool. Callback after callback after callback. Rahab, she had her life spared because of her action of harboring the spies because she feared God. She said, your God is the God that's gonna have victory. So Hebrews is just rapid firing, giving us these incredible stories. You should totally go read it, study it. It's beautiful. Thank you, Elijah, for digging into that for us each month. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Now does this quick rapid fire. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Pause. Right here, our author is going to pivot like a basketball player because he's doing something more than just giving an encyclopedia of cool people in the Bible. Our author has something to say to his readers in that day, and our author has something to say to us today, and I don't want to miss it. He is clearly telling us that the baton of faith has passed from them, and it's in our hands. And he intends for us to grab a hold of it and run. Run in relationship. Run in endurance. Run in obedient action. Remember that our author is speaking to Christians who are hated for their faith. He's speaking to Christians who are losing their jobs, who are being imprisoned. Some of them are dying. They're having their stuff taken away. They're losing their families because of Jesus. And our author is going to do something really interesting here. The first thing he's doing is he's showing us, and he's showing them how those heroes that we've been looking at looked forward to something they couldn't see. Hebrews 11.1, 1. God's promises being fulfilled, and yet they walked in faith. They had a conviction. They had assurance of what they couldn't see, and yet they walked in faith. Number two, our author is saying, 
we can look back. We have a vantage point that's great. We can look back with 2020 vision and see how God did amazingly big things and brought every one of those promises to pass. We have that opportunity. They were walking in faith for what they couldn't see. We have the opportunity to look back and see. They only got a sliver. They got one little tiny puzzle piece of the jigsaw puzzle and they hung on to it in faith. We get to see the whole picture of what God was doing. How much more should we be able to trust God? But the author isn't done encouraging them or encouraging us yet because right here in the middle of this verse, he does this incredible pivot. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 35, women receive back their dead by resurrection. Wow, that's so cool. Let's keep going. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. He smoothly moves from those who saw God deliver them in big ways to people that never saw a similar kind of God's deliverance. In all these before, they're saying mouths of lions were stopped. People survived fire. These promises were given. The land was inherited. And then he rolls over into, but there were also those who suffered, who were tortured, who were destitute and who died in their faith. What is the author doing here? He's calling his readers who are currently in persecution to lean on God in endurance. Is a candle brighter at midnight or at noontime? Let me ask that differently. Is faith shown brightest when we hold on until deliverance by God? Or is faith shown brightest when God leaves his people to suffer and yet they walk in faith? Do you see what he's doing here? It's beautiful. He's, he's clearly telling those that are reading this in persecution, he's saying, God may deliver you. But if he doesn't, your faith will be seen all the more clearly. God's faithfulness and your testimony to who he is will be even brighter for who he is. Trusting God until his deliverance is wonderful. Trusting God when he doesn't deliver is even more so. They are currently suffering for the gospel and God may save them from it. He might make their lives easier. And he might bring his name glory by walking with them through it. There is no one in our list that shook their fist at God and said, I am the captain of my destiny. But what we see again and again and again, and right here at the conclusion of his list of people that suffered and died for him, were people that said, God, I have nothing to give. I can't walk this out by myself. I need you to carry me. Faith is not a power. It's not grappling for control. 
again and again. It is people throwing their need onto the wide, powerful shoulders of a sovereign king who loves them, who has promises that will come to pass as surely as the universe exists. His power will bring them to pass, whether we see it or not. People in suffering, he's saying, you may not know how it works out. You might not see what is unseen. They didn't either. But look how God was faithful. They only had fractions of the puzzle but they trusted that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he said he will do. And what has God done for us that should encourage us even more is that God has given us something better. He's given us a new covenant, not the old covenant that was looking towards the new covenant. We hold the new covenant. God is exchanging hearts of stone for hearts of flesh. God has given us his son. And I love this. This last line, it's a little, a little weird sounding, but let me translate it for you. Since Verse 40, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Simply, this means that as they receive their salvation, we get to be counted with them. These great heroes of faith, they aren't gonna stand before God alone. We get to stand side by side with our heroes, having been counted righteous with them when we endure in faith. And then, 12 verse one, we need to read it in light of verse of chapter 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who are they? The people we just read about, those who went before us, those who died in faith. Let us also lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance. There's that theme again from the very beginning at the end of chapter 10. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We are in an arena of great people of faith, people that we don't even know the names of, people all around the world that are living out their faith in action, relationship, and endurance. And we get to stand in an arena with these that are named. And let's not get the perspective wrong. These people that we're in, surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, they're not watching us, cheering us on. They are with us and they're giving witness to the faithfulness of God. They're not witnessing how good these people were. They're witnessing how good the God was that they served. And so how encouraging is it that we get to be in a room and we get to join the chorus of how great our God is? And how encouraging is it to hear the voices of all these men and women saying, hang in there, endure, live by faith. His promises will come to pass. You may not see it now. It may hurt now, but never let go. He's worth it. He's worth every loss. He's worth every pain. Hang in there, endure, live by faith. God works all things together for the glory or for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What a beautiful song that we get to sing with him. But he doesn't end. He gives us one last hero of the faith for us to look to as an example. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, there's that word again, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The ultimate promise that all of them looked forward to was Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. And we are left with the promise of the return of Jesus. 
He is the chief example of faith. He's the chief example of looking forward towards God's rewards. And we're called to follow his example, to pick up his cross and to endure with him. We receive the baton from these heroes. We receive the baton from Christians that gave the 60 or 80 years of their lives. We receive the baton from those Christians that had their lives cut short. Men and women of God, will you endure? Will you press into relationship? Will you be willing to be obedient based on the faithfulness of God? That God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do. I think it's so important that we realize that God doesn't always save us out of suffering. Often he walks with us through it. There was a pastor in South Africa. His name was Andrew Murray. He was a preacher. He founded Christian schools. He founded mission societies. He helped set up a seminary. He dedicated his life. People thought he was going to burn out and die early because of his dedication and his zeal for God. But one time he was going through a very difficult crisis. And to get away from it all, he went and he hid himself in his office. And he sat for a long time praying. And he remembered who Jesus was. He remembered Jesus enduring the cross for us. And he picked up his pen and he wrote these words. And I ask you just to listen carefully. He wrote these in his journal. First, God brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this place. In that fact, I will rest. Maybe you're dealing with suffering in some way. Maybe the loss of a loved one. Maybe you have a fear or an anxiety. Maybe people don't like you. Whatever that is that you're going through, what if we came to an understanding that our sovereign God brought us here to this place in our lives, to this pain, to this suffering, to this time? Next, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. God brings us to difficult situations, to challenging situations, and he intends to care for us in them and give us the strength to behave like a son of God, like a follower of Jesus. Then he will make the trial a blessing teaching me the lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. So every trial and suffering and difficulty and challenge, God intends to shape us, to chisel us, to mold us, to be more and more like him, like his son. And last, in his good time, he can bring me out again. How and when he knows, let me say, I am here by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training, and for his time. If you aren't dealing with difficulty, persecution, suffering right now, then go ahead and build these tools into your toolbox. An actual understanding of what faith is, a memory of those who have gone before us, and an endurance for the future. And if you're in them right now, I'm gonna pray for you as we close. And I challenge you to take up the baton, to look towards the one who is faithful, who has all power and is in control. And maybe instead of fighting to try to fight our way out of it, trying to pray our will into heaven, maybe pause for a minute and look 
to your guide, to your king, to your light, and ask, Lord, what are you doing in it? As you carry me, what are you doing in it? So I challenge you with two challenges. One, that you begin to pray differently. The Lord welcomes us to bring our needs and our cares to him. But I think it stops being welcome when we start trying to convince God that our way is better than his. So we begin to pray differently. Instead of our prayers being a bargaining session, maybe, maybe try to emphasize our prayers being a surrender session. And two, I challenge you to begin to trust your faithful God in difficulty, in the situation right now with your friends, with your family, or with sickness. To begin to trust him in it. Heavenly Father, what a challenging but encouraging message to know that sometimes you shape us by suffering. But how much hope do we have to know that you are in it with us, carrying us, giving us the gift of faith to grow closer to you, to endure, and to be obedient? Lord, if there's someone in here right now that is on the edge of breaking, that they have question marks that haunt their night hours that keep them awake at night, that don't know what to do next. They feel like they're in an echo chamber with everything pressing in and they're not sure how to get to tomorrow. Father, remind them that you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. Remind them that your promises are as certain as the air we breathe. Wrap your arms around them and comfort them. You are near the brokenhearted. Holy Father, be a father to them. A father that defends, a father that provides, and a father that cares with strong, nail-scarred hands of love. We surrender to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus. Jesus.